Hi, this is Kev Legs Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat. And there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. I'm delighted to say I'm now joined on the phone all the way from America by Nick Andrea. Nick, are you well? Splendiferous. Thank you for asking, sir. Splendiferous. <laughs> that good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little catchphrase I've, I've developed, and, and uh, I love to use it when talking to people that uh, share our affection for music. Right. Uh, it's a sort of expression of joy. <laughs> you mentioned your love of music, but you've only recently come back onto the music scene after taking, I wouldn't say a break, uh, you were pursuing other careers, weren't you? Uh, yes, I'm a full-time practicing attorney uh, for the largest insurance company in the world in Los Angeles, and uh, uh, that is that was a career choice that uh, my father uh, sort of pushed me towards when I was reaching the age where I had to decide, am I going to be a musician or am I going to do something else? And uh, uh, he convinced me to put my horn in the closet, and uh, for 30 years I felt like something was missing, and I went through all kinds of... Uh, personal uh, destructive behaviors uh, until I identified that uh, that something was missing in my life. And uh, I came back to it, and I've never been happier. But you're still practicing law. Uh, I am still practicing law until uh, a record company signs me to a mega contract. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we, uh, the musicians that play with me, they need to be paid, recording studios, uh, etc., and yeah. uh, and this is just a right now. This is a passion project. Well, let's go back to the early days. And so, what were you listening to when you were growing up? Well, the first record I ever found uh, was a forty-five RPM of uh, Chuck Berry. My parents had it, uh, and I liked it so much. I I, I think it was uh, Memphis, Tennessee, was the song. And I uh, I started thumbing through their collection, and then I found a Rolling Stones album. And I started listening to the Stones' interpretation of blues songs, uh, and it sort of grew from that. Uh, I'm from Rochester, New York, originally, and so there's also a, uh, a jazz sort of a jazz hub. And uh, Chuck Mangione uh, came to town, and I, I started getting fixated on playing the trumpet, and uh, and so I started soaking up blues and jazz uh, all the way through high school. Uh, I actually uh, formed a blues jazz band in high school. They'd never even heard of blues jazz before. What the heck is that? <laughs> and uh, and that was something that I really wanted to do with my life. And uh, and uh, reality sort of stepped in. <laughs> Did you go for formal lessons, or are you one of these lucky people that can play by ear? Uh, not lucky at all. I struggled uh, uh, to develop, uh, and I took lessons, and I was uh, classically trained, and uh, I, w- I won awards for both classical and jazz in high school. Uh, and so uh, the, the colleges uh, were offering scholarships, and the question was, do you do music or do you do something else? Uh, but I, I took music theory, uh, college-level music theory in high school, which I still value to this day. It, it's, it's just, I encourage any musician to get into musical theory. You want to understand the pentatonic scale. You, you, all of these things uh, come to fruition when you're playing music. Did you continue playing in high school bands and local bands and then go into law, or did you go straight into law when you left school? 
Uh, I went into law. I, I, I probably have a, a personality flaw that if I can't do something the way I want to do it and do it 100%, then I, I sort of put it uh, aside. And so that that first trumpet, it the valves rusted shut. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was it was very sad, and uh, I don't think I realized how much was missing in my life until I, I came back to it in uh, Christmas of 2017. My uh, my wife sensed that there was something missing, and she heard me talk fondly about my musical days. She bought me a trumpet, and uh, I basically took that down to the uh, the local park where no one could hear me because trust me, when you haven't played in decades. Those lip muscles are all gone, and I kept playing, and I kept playing, trying to get better. It was like a crippled man learning to walk again. Then one day, uh, there was a little uh, school library nearby, and the librarian came out, and I thought, oh, God, she's going to complain about me, isn't she, because I'm so awful. And she said, that's really beautiful. Would you come in and talk to the children about music? They would really enjoy it. And I thought, well, maybe maybe there's something still there. <laughs> Was that like a, a eureka moment for you then? Uh, I, I, I think it was, and I think it was a, a personal sign to me that, yeah, we need to keep continuing with this and keep pushing for this, and uh, and maybe it's never too late to recapture a dream, uh, even at, I, I think at that point I might have been, uh, let's see, 2017, I was probably uh, 49 maybe. Was it around that time that uh, you got together with T.J. Sullivan? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, TJ was uh, in a uh, social group that uh, I was also in, and I heard that he was a blues musician, and somebody played one of his songs for me, and I, I was like, I have to get to know this guy. So I approached him, and I approached him with a little song that we wrote, and we did it in a local, local open mic. And uh, people liked it so much, uh, we started writing songs together, and that turned into a little group we called Law and Chaos. That song, was that Whiskey and Whispers? Uh, that was Whiskey Whispers, uh, and uh, and I will share with you that that is more than auto, uh, semi-autobiographical. It's uh, when, when I talk about some of the despair that I felt over the years, uh, a lot of it is embraced in that song. Right. Do you still perform with TJ, then? Uh, TJ left, actually... <laughs> You know, we, we call ourselves Law and Chaos, and obviously I'm Law. Well, he was—he definitely supplied the chaos. Um, as we were getting ready to ship the album out, he came to me and he said, you know, Nick, everyone has different conceptions of the blues. He was more of a, uh, a front porch country kind of blues player, and right. we were doing things that really had a much wider net of the blues. We were working in rock and jazz influences, and uh, and so he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I wish you the best, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go my way. So at that point, uh, it became turning that into a solo album and finishing the tracks and redoing the artwork. And uh, uh, But we all have different conceptions of what the blues are. And uh, to me, blues is the experience of life, both the ups and downs, and, and expressing that transparently to the audience. And and that's, that's what I've tried to achieve in this album, is honesty about my life, my ups, my downs. And the hope is that people see their own common experiences and they can share in that. Because it's, it's, and music at its essence is communication. It's the sharing of feelings and concepts between people. And if you can achieve that, um, then you can call it blues, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but that is the essence of the music to me. 
you mentioned earlier that when you were growing up, you were listening to Chuck Berry and the Rolling Stones. Uh-huh. Both artists have blues backgrounds, but who are your out-and-out blues influences? Uh, definitely Muddy Waters, definitely B.B. Uh, King, The Thrill Is Gone, um, I think John Lee Hooker. Um, I love all these guys. I, I have a burgeoning vinyl uh, collection that I would say is about 50% blues and 50% jazz. And uh, Holland Wolf, you got to mention Holland Wolf. Uh, and, and modern blues artists, too, I, I take things in interesting directions. I, you know, every, everybody loves Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, everybody loves Joe Bonamassa. Uh, these, these guys are all incredible, and they've all got something to share. And, and you'll note that they all have a different interpretation of what the blues are. You know, the first time that Muddy Waters decided to plug into an amp, there were probably purists that said, that, that's not blues. And, uh, and today we, we embrace that as if the father of modern blues. Going off at a tangent here, I was watching a documentary at the weekend of Bob Dylan and the progression through his career from acoustic troubadour to electric balladeer. And when he first booked <laughs> in, people were booing him off stage. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, that's bound to happen when you when you're when you're breaking a new path. And uh, and and I've run into that quite honestly. Uh, again, it's it's everyone's got a, a a conception of what blues are, and when you when you try to step over the carefully drawn lines that they have, uh, sometimes you'll get quite a bit of pushback. Well, we've touched on this numerous times on this show that some blues purist will say, oh, no, that's not the blues. It's got to sound like this. But the blues is all-encompassing, and there's so many different styles of blues as well. You've got country blues, Chicago blues, electric blues, acoustic blues. You can't pigeonhole it that easily. No, no, I, I, I think, and, and, I, and I think the closest I'll come to pigeonholing it is are you conveying the personal ups, highs, lows, everything that in- encompasses the emotion of your life? If you're, if you're doing that, to me, that's, that's close enough to blues that you, you turn to other things. Is it pleasing to the ear? Are you being transparent with the audience? Uh, I, I don't see the need for narrow parameters. Let's come back to your most, well, your debut album, uh, Blues at Dark. Whiskey Whispers, which we touched upon earlier, that was Blues Blues Magazine's number one blues single of 2021. That must have been a thrill when you that heard about that. That was totally unexpected. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was an honor because uh, there, there are so many musicians out there, it's very hard to distinguish yourself. So to, to get recognition for a song like that, and uh, and have a little list where you see yourself above a uh, Joe Bonamassa is uh, it, it was thrilled, uh, thrilling, and uh, the thrill is not gone. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you did there. Um, also, you've done a, a sort of recreation, reworking of Superstition, haven't you? The Stevie Wonder song. That one was uh, incredibly fun. Uh, back back when I started my comeback uh, as a musician, um, I. Uh, I was in a little garage band and uh, we were trying to do superstition and, uh, and it came out sounding like a totally different song. So I carried that memory with me and I, I went to my producer uh, once I started developing music and I said, let's do this, but let's do it in a way that no one's ever heard before. Let's create this as an uh, epic blues rock creation. And uh, he'd been Stevie Wonder's guitarist back in 1970. So he, he was juiced about the project. So we, we just started 
building it piece by piece, starting with an incredible arrangement. We pulled in every incredible musician that would even listen to us about being on the project. And uh, we got a Grammy Award-winning guitar player. We got the uh, a finalist in the International Blues Challenge, Truth Jones, to uh, to share the vocal duties with me. Uh, <laughs> and, and if I could share with you on that, it's like always be careful when you pull in a superior vocalist to go head to head with. I really had to up my game, but uh, at the end of the day, that ended up being our uh, our most successful track to date, uh, numbers wise. Uh, people really seem to enjoy it. The album as a whole is described as semi-autobiographical, and you touched upon that earlier. Did you find the writing process cathartic? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. And, and honestly, um, I, I, I think the first point in a musician is internal satisfaction. Before you can expect someone else to love you, you've got to love yourself. Uh, and the process of getting that out on paper and walking through. And it wasn't all just the downsides of the past. Uh, there's a song called Miss in Second Place. Uh, that's about making amends to my wife after years of uh, poor behavior, <laughs> let us say, to be uh, charitable. Um, so all, all of this uh, was cathartic, and it was also t- meant to tell a story, uh, a story about someone who lost their way and found it back again. Has that story been told now? Have you got that out of your system, for want of a better phrase, or is there another chapter to come? Well, I, I, I joked on the internet about it. Well, we got to do a sequel, Blues at Dawn. But uh, but but honestly, um, I, I think there are so many things to think about and experiences in life. I, I think the story has been told, and it's, uh, it's time to touch on new topics. And, uh, you know, the past is always there if you want to draw upon something in a... In a in a crunch, but uh, but I, I think we don't want to beat a dead horse, <laughs> to use the cliche. Are you looking towards the next album already, or are you still focused on promoting this? Uh, both. Uh, it's I, I'm doing sort of double duty right now, uh, promoting Blues at Dark. Uh, it's re- released March 18th on vinyl and CD. And uh, I am working with a uh, man named Gary Swan, who was uh, played with the. Uh, he was a musical director for the Pointer Sisters, and he played with uh, Deep Purple on the road. Uh, we're developing a uh, a double album that we're looking to uh, to release next year, and we're about twelve or thirteen tracks into that at this point. And part of the promotion process, obviously, is gigging. So, how do you fit that in with your daytime career? Uh, honestly, we have not done a lot of gigging. The pandemic uh, really had an impact. Uh, I, I try to get out just to keep my exposure to, to audiences. We, The Blue Society has local open jam sessions. Uh, there's a place called the Smokehouse in Santa Clarita. I like to jump down there and, and, uh, and play with some of these guys. But the, uh, the band is being assembled. We're, we're focusing on the recording aspect at this point, but we've, we've got our personnel. People are getting the tunes down. Um, we're gonna we're we're planning to really jump into it in the in the next year. Yeah, well, I wish you every success with that. It's been an absolute joy talking to you, and I can't wait for the next chapter in your story. Well, thank you so much. I think that was the quickest twenty minutes I can remember. <laughs> so that's a compliment <laughs> to you. Thanks. Okay, you take care. Bye bye. And I hope you enjoyed that little interview there. And there will be more as we record more for the show. And we are going to delve into the archives and pull some of the old ones out as well. So plenty more to come. And of course, if you want to hear the whole show, 
Those always listen again. I'll see you next time. Take care.